God is good. He's so good to us. Oh, man, God is good, isn't he? All the time is right. Come on, everybody, all the time. It's not cliche. It's not an old saying. We should still be saying that. God is always good. No matter what it looks like in the natural, no matter what you think, God is always good. Always, always, always good. Wow. Well, I have... um, so many things going in my mind. Just uh, bear with me today. I have a lot of different angles, and, and I'm asking the Lord to smooth it out, make it make sense to you today. Is that all right? Sometimes the Lord's got one straight thing, and it's easy for me. Oh, it's never easy. It's easier, I should say. But uh, today he's got a few things to say, so let's just let the Holy Spirit bring it together. And one more time, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you didn't preserve it for no reason, Lord. You preserved it for us. We thank you, Lord, from cover to cover, whether we like it, whether we agree with it. We thank you, Lord, that there's life in your word, and it's there for us, Lord. Not just to read words, they're just words, but to read it and let the Spirit of God, Lord, touch our hearts by those words and change us from the inside out. We thank you, Lord, for your grace in us, Lord, your grace that just keeps going and going and going and never stops. It never fails. You are so faithful, Lord. And I pray that you'd have grace on us today as we look in your word and speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I just want to pick up, I've been uh, these last three weeks in Hebrews chapter 11. And let's just look there again. Hebrews chapter 11. I'm going to go right there. And look at verse 1, Hebrews 11, verse 1. And it says, faith is, we've been talking about faith. Faith is the confidence. It's the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. Faith is that God is who he is. He is who he says he is, whether you like what he says, whether you don't like what he says, whether you don't like him, God is who he is. And when you come to the place where you recognize that he is who he is, and that his son is his son, and that Jesus is the way, the only way, because he said it, we have to believe it. When you come to that place, there's the beginning of faith. That's when faith can start happening. And then secondly, you have to believe that God will do what he has said. And some of those things are just for time. Some of the things he has said are for the earth, for the future, past, future. And some of those things the Lord has spoken even into your lives personally, things that you know that he's asking you to do or to be in your life and he has not forgotten. He's not given up on you. Come on, let's say that together. God has not given up on me. Do you believe it? Sounded weak. One more time. God has not given up on me. Our faith in God is the foundation to your life on this earth. There is no life without faith in God because it all is like a sandcastle. Eventually, it's just going to come crumbling down. And that's not to make you somber, to make you, I don't want you to leave heavy. I want you to leave light and free. I want you to listen to God speak to you today that this world is temporary. This world is temporary. This world is, I'm going to say it again because I don't think you're listening. This world is temporary, but God is eternal And he has a kingdom that he has built that is eternal. And he has a place for you. If you're willing to submit your life to him, he has a place for you, right? We know that Jesus sat after he completed the work of the cross. He went on that cross for you. He shed his blood in place of your blood. That means no matter what you could possibly commit in your life, 
Jesus already paid the maximum capital punishment. If you came in as a murderer, I don't think there's murderers in here, but if you came in as a murderer, he was already on the cross for you. And when you give him your sin, you give him your past, you give him your present, and you give him your future, he will take that from you. And God now looks at you through that blood and sees when he looks at you and you say, I'm a sinner, but he looks and sees a pure spotless lamb. That was Jesus Christ on the cross, right? Amen. We know that that's our foundation as Christians. And then Jesus didn't just die. He rose again and sat down next to the father at the right hand of the father and invited you to sit with him. Come on. What an amazing gospel. Then he invited you to sit with him. So we need to know. Your foundation of faith is that you need to know, okay, Jesus, you did that for me and I'm thankful, first of all. But secondly, not just that you did something for me, but that there is a bigger we start looking from his perspective. I preached on a few weeks ago. There is a bigger picture. There's a, there's a view from God's perspective that's bigger than this earth. It's bigger than just our little lives. It's bigger. There's more. There's so much more. And God wants us to see. He wants us to see like he sees. He wants you to sit with him on the throne and look and see as he sees. Amen. Does that make sense so far? God is asking you today, if you are willing, if you are willing, God is asking you today to sit with him. Isn't that incredible? How many times though have we, Colossians 3, we get off that throne, we should be seated with him in peace and looking and saying, yeah, Lord, I'm not worried about this earth. I'm not worried about my life. I'm not worried about these things. This is temporary. Colossians 3 says, why are you even thinking about the things on the earth? Why are you thinking about worldly things? So many times I go to God, and I was just talking with some people about this before church. I go to the Lord, and, and in, a, in the U.S., our problems are luxury problems. It's Tony telling me, you got luxury problems. Because even as worse as it could possibly get for us in the U.S., I can, can't stop thinking about those in third world countries that walk for five hours just to drink clean water, and it's still not clean. We've got it pretty good here. But so many times, at the same time, I say this to the Lord. I understand that, and it's our job then. We can pray for them, and we can even fund them. We can send money. We can send people to help them. At the same time, he also understands that we live here. Who lives here? <laughs> who, has, who wakes up and says, okay, I, I've got all that. I've got that figured out. But my problems in my life, they didn't go away. Come on, who, who, who can identify? Now, what we have is we have the right perspective that our problems are actually small. They're not so big but they are still something that God needs to work out. Come on, is that right? Or are we just like, well, whatever. We don't want to just say whatever. We want to say whatever your will is, but not whatever. We still want God to do something there. So we need to look from his perspective. We need to look at our lives at your issues, at your trials, at your sin, at your future, at your goals, at, the th at everything in your life, if God is not the center of it, then we're off. Whether it's an issue that you need help with or it's something that you're trying to do, that's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. If God is not the center of it, then we're off. And that's this foundation of faith. But it says in verse 2, through their faith, the people in days of old, and we've been looking at some of the characters in the Old Testament, the days of old, that's the Old Testament characters, they earned a good reputation. And by faith, we understand 
that the entire universe was formed at God's command. That what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. And then he goes into, starts talking about the characters of God. And and we love verse 6. It says, and it is impossible. Come on, say this out loud. Verse 6 says, it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. But I, this is very interesting, though. We have definition of faith, verse 1. And then verse 2, we're going to start talking about some of the men and women of the Bible. And then he goes on for the rest of the chapter. But I noticed this verse right here, verse 3. By faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command. And what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. It's kind of like shoved in there. God doesn't waste his time. Did you know that? That every word that God spoke was for a reason. And I started meditating on this verse. There's actually so many levels to this verse. In one respect, we can look at verse 3. We're talking about faith, right? We're talking about what God's done and how we need to look from his perspective, how we need to trust him. And that's what these men and women did in the word. But he says something here that's very interesting. That by faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command, and what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. You believe, and this is such a foundation to our faith, that God made everything, and that means if he made everything, right? If God made everything, then who am I? If God made everything and he made everyone, it's so funny that we think that we don't need God. It's so funny that it's so hard for God to get to us so many times. We run so far from him, but he's told us already, I made you. In fact, everything that you see and everything that you know, and it's a foundation to our faith. Why is it such a foundation? Because at this place, we realize that, hey, I am only here because God made me. I only exist because God chose for me to exist. And it's so funny that he lets us, though. Isn't it incredible? God's so big and so grand, so amazing, and, and over the universe, and yet he allows us to deny him. He allows us, if we want, to never, ever acknowledge him. Gives us that choice. Isn't that incredible? God is so big. He's so good. He's so beyond us, isn't he? But I started meditating on this. And then I started thinking about creation. I started thinking about how God made in these days, in these six days, he made and made and made, and then he rested. And I thought, okay, God, I get it. We understand that everything's from you, and it's all for you, and and I see that side of it, but there's something else in here. And I just started to think of this thought. Why did it take God six days to make creation? It's funny, today we're trying to, they're trying to mix evolution in with God, and they're trying to say that God used evolution. Say, well, we're not going to get rid of the scientific world, we'll just mix it with God, and we'll say, well, It was still God, still creator, but he used evolution. And I started thinking on on the total opposite thought pattern because that, you know, that makes more sense or gives our minds some more, some more room to understand, okay, I can get that God made everything, but it took him a long time to do it. And then my mind went the other way and said, did God really need six days before he rested? I mean, seriously, if he could do it in six, I think he could do it in six seconds. He didn't even need time itself, for that matter. The only reason that there's even time is because he's talking in our perspective. He's outside of that realm. What is time anyway? God just spoke, and bam, it was. 
And yet it says that it took six days. And I just thought the Lord spoke something to me through this. It says it's by faith. And he's talking about creation. And it was just one line. And it was faith takes time. Faith takes time. And we've been looking at these characters. You go through any character in the Old Testament from Genesis all the way to the New Testament, and you find that each of their lives is a journey. Not one of them arrives suddenly. Not one of them was just born, and they were many Jesuses running around the earth. And that doesn't happen today either. And I'm not saying that, again, to burden you. I'm saying that today to free you, to encourage you. Faith takes time. Even God himself, who I believe didn't even need any time at all, still, incrementally, come on, I want you to say that word out loud because that's hard to say, incrementally established what we know. We know it's him, and I know that I'm, I'm subject to him because he made me, and just like a watch on my wrist, if it doesn't do what I want it to do, I'm going to love it, but eventually it doesn't have any use to me. We don't have to respect him. We don't have to honor him. We just deci- we've decided on our own. He made us perfect, made us beautiful, and gave us everything. It's our choice to not believe, to not be that watch, that watch that he put there for a purpose. So we know that. But why did God take time to do that? And you can see that it's actually a pattern through his entire word. Even Jesus. Jesus is prophesied and prophesied and prophesied and prophesied and prophesied. And then he's born. Come on, we were talking about uh, Abraham going down to Egypt. Jesus is born, and for the first two years of his life, right? right? They have to run. Run to Egypt for a season. I'm sorry. Is it two years? That's not a trick question. Now I'm totally blank. I'm pretty sure it's two years. Right, Dan? Yeah. It's some, it's, we don't have the exact time, but I'm pretty sure it's around two years. But anyway, you just wonder, like, does God, did, did God miss the timing? Couldn't Jesus have been born two years later then they wouldn't have had that issue with Herod? Why does God do these things? And you can go through every single character. And I just started going through Hebrews 11. I started going through these characters and I was actually torn. I'm looking at Isaac and I'm looking at Jacob because I talked about Abraham and that's where I wanted to speak to you today. And I'm looking at their stories, and there's different details. Come on, I want you to say this out loud. My story has different details, but it's the same. It's the same story for each of us, from the day you're born to the day you die. And it's this, just surrender to God. Come on. Just surrender to God. And if you got to go through this, God's like, I'm okay with that. You got to go through suffering and pain. I don't want you to, to suffer. But if that's what it takes for you to finally look to me and just call me God, then I'm going to allow it. Not because I'm sadistic, but because I love you. The Lord's speaking to us today. He's telling you that he loves you. And it wasn't that their details, I just don't have the time. If we had the time, we'll turn this into a three-hour Bible study and look at how all their stories line up. It's all different details, but it's all the same. They're just going through things that don't make sense. And finally, they just all come to this place. But God, you're God. God, you're God. And I want you to look, I want you to look, because it takes time and God is well aware. Say this out loud. God is well aware of my journey. He's well aware of your journey. He knew you before you were born. He knew you when you were born. He knew you up until this day, and he'll, he already knows what you're going to do when you leave here. Isn't that amazing? 
God is amazing and he loves you so much. Jesus loves you so much. You need to know that if, if there's someone here who doesn't believe it, I need you to know it, that Jesus loves you so much that he died for you and gave his life in your place before you even lived. But Jesus tells us in the, in the book of Luke, and this is amazing, I love this story, chapter 15, that faith takes time. Come on, I want you to say that out loud. Faith, faith. takes time. Some of us got to go through some things. I want you to say that out loud. Some of us got to go through some things. <laughs> who, uh, who listened to your mother when you were little and didn't touch that hot burner? Is there anybody in here who just didn't touch it because you were told not to touch it? Or did everybody have to? <laughs> some people didn't. Some people did. Most of us have. <laughs> and Jesus understands that. And that's what his love is. It's so great that he doesn't look, he's not looking at the one who touches it or the one who doesn't touch it any differently. Isn't that amazing? He already knew that you were the personality that needed to touch it before you did. So he's already got a story in front of you to get you to the place where you say, I give up. I surrender. And then the one who does it willingly, he gives them the blessing of being with them, him all along. But you all end up at the same place, surrendered in a temporary place, entering an eternal place exactly the same. When we just think of this earth as it, then we compare ourselves and we look at our stories and my story is better than yours. I went through less stuff than you. I'm better than you. But when we look at eternity, and we say that, well, it's how you finish the race, not necessarily all the details of the race. Then we can enter eternity exactly the same, all finishers. Come on, I want you to, I'm saying, we're saying a lot of things out loud today. I'm gonna finish my race. Some of them are longer than others. Some of them are harder than others. But it's all the same race to get you to the finish line, Jesus, I'm ready to enter eternity with you. Come on, amen? amen. Luke chapter 15, verse 11. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. And a few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. Anybody can identify? <laughs> hey, we're all, hey, listen, we're a family here. You're too prideful to raise your hand for this part. Then you just need to get on your knees again before Christ. We've all wasted, that's the reality. We've all taken, God's given us so much. He's given us so much and we've all wasted so many years, so many things. That's not to condemn you because this is an amazing chapter here in Luke. It's to free you. We've all done this. And it said about the time his money ran out, of course, a great famine swept over the land. Hmm, wonder where that famine came from. I wonder if God knew that about that time that his money ran out, a famine came. Come on. Who can already hear, who's already seeing your life laid out that, wow, when I got to my lowest and I thought I was at my lowest, something pushed me a little bit lower. Come on. That's right where you were supposed to be. And you're saying, preacher, how's that possible? He took what God gave him, took the Father's blessing, and just wasted it? How is this possibly exactly where he was supposed to be? It says that 
In verse 15, so he persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. Who has taken what God has given you, and you've come to the end, and then what do you do? You've got no choice but to try to figure it out. Who's been in that place? Who's gotten to the place where then you just start saying, well, I don't know what else to do. Is anybody can agree with me and, and has been there where I've been? I don't know what else to do. And you just start trying to figure it out. God's not angry with you and he's not surprised that you are going to do this first. First. Because it says the young man was... He became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. Wow. I know some people in here can agree with this. Get so low that this world starts, I mean, even the low, you just are willing. You're just at your end. Come on. But, you know, this is such an amazing thing. What the Lord is really telling us, you have to come to your end. You got to get to that place to come to Christ. You got to get to that place in everything, whether it's your trial or it's your dream. You got to get to the place where you could care less about the dream. You just need God. And then God can truly fulfill it. Fast forwarding, end of the sermon. But then it says, no one gave him anything. God allowed him to get to the place where he lost it all, then he tried to work it off, and then there's nothing left. That's it. I'm at my end. But I love verse 17. It says, he finally came to his senses. (laughs) Come on, church. The Lord's speaking today. We need to come to our senses. Just come to your senses. All your striving, all your working. It's just feeding the pigs anyway. That's all that that's doing. Everybody's abandoned you. No one's there for you. God's got his eye on you. At home, come on. In the Lord's house, come on, this is a parable, so we can, we, can, we can change some words here, and we're not, I'm not taking license. This is what he's referring to. In Christ's arms, back to Christ, come back to Jesus, because even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I'm dying of hunger. Why do we do this for so long, though? (laughs) Why does it take so long to come to our senses? And maybe God allowed even the worst of the worst on purpose. Seriously, Pastor, God would allow me to get to what I thought was the bottom and go lower? Yes, because if that's what it takes to come to your senses, that's how much he loves you. Wow, that's tough love. But that's real love. This is real love. Come on, say it out loud. That's real love. love. Fake love lets a person just do whatever they want, however they want, and there's no consequences. But real love uses consequences not to make you feel low, but to turn you back to the right decisions. And he said, verse 18, I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned. Uh, something's already starting to happen in him. It's already finished. At that very moment, as soon as his heart began to think it, it's already happening. Something is happening in us when we just realize, I, and, and this is at every single place of your life, every single place that we have done in, in our own strength, that we went running and we tried to accomplish, at every single one of those things, And I love this because I keep fast forwarding. We're going to get to it. You can't compare and go, well, I never did that. I never went there. I never did. I never had to eat with the pigs. But Jesus is actually speaking to us and says, at every single turn of your life, if you took the reins, 
instead of letting me have it. And you tried to do it yourself, tried to build your own thing. You were wasting away. You're just wasting it. But he's also saying to us, in every single area of your life, no matter what it is, come to this place. I've sinned both heaven and, sinned against both heaven and you, and it's because I didn't let you be a part of this. I went running to do it myself. So he returned, verse 20, to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. Come on, this is an amazing parable, isn't it? His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, I love, he just ignores him. <laughs> as soon as you said, Father, I've sinned, come on. He, Lord's like already on an answer. Lord's already working out your answer. Who's got some things in your life that you want the Lord to work some answers out? Just come to this place. Settle it with him. Just settle it with him. And I could go to the Old Testament, could look at Jacob, could look at Abraham, could look at Isaac, right? We know Jacob had to come to a place. He came to the river and he wrestled with God, right? You know the story. He came to that place where he wrestled and finished it. It settled. You're my God. He ignores him and he says, but his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. He, the Bible calls us, and that's why I started, Jesus called you to sit with him. Jesus is a king. And he gives you, even though we're not worthy of it, even though we have sinned over and over and over again. And if we don't think we have, we need to go back to his words and say, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For all have. There is no one good, no one but God. But he has welcomed you to sit with him on his throne. And he said, put a robe on him. And then he said something very interesting, which seems insignificant, but this is a huge thing that God said. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. He clothes us, but this is very, very significant because the ring symbolized what family you were in. This was... When they, the servant saw the ring, the servant was now subject to you as if he was subject to the owner of the estate. That means when Christ has brought you in, he welcomes you, he robes you, he frees you. The, the sandals symbolize the tiredness, the weariness, the hardness, the callousness of your feet, right? The dirtiness. And he cleanses you and robes you and frees you and gives you a position that you didn't deserve, but does it without ever. There is not one verse here where the father says, where did you go? Why did it take so long? Uh, uh, why do you look so dirty? Why do you smell like pigs? There's not one verse. Not one verse. But he said even further, and kill the calf we've been fattening, we must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. <laughs> Did you know that there's rejoicing in heaven when you decide to settle it with God? Doesn't matter how long you've been walking with God. We should read this the same way and just settle it. Lord, I don't know what happened. I thought this thing, I thought you were going to do that. I thought you were going to do this. Life did not turn out the way I expected. It may be, maybe it's because I just need to come back to you 
and I got out in my own strength, started doing things on my own and didn't even realize that I ran away and started building my own kingdom until I grounded into the ground. And now I can't blame you, but I can come back to you and you'll welcome me and give me the kingdom as if I stayed all along. Now, this is incredible. This is where the story turns. Come on, say it out loud. This is where the story turns. And this, I love that he continues, that there's more to the story. That's an incredible story, Pastor. I love that story, Pastor, but there is a little more to the story. And this is incredible that there's more. It's because what, what he, the reason he keeps speaking here is just to level the planes. That every single one of us needs him. And we need to come to that place. It doesn't matter how faithful or how unfaithful you think you've been. What the Lord's going to show you is that there's still stuff even in your heart, even if you've stayed. Because it says in verse 25, Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. And when he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And then he rejoiced because my younger brother was gone and now he's back. Oh man, where have you been? I love you and I'm so glad you're back. Actually, it says, and he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. How sad. But I believe the Lord's speaking to us today. Lord's speaking to us all of us. His father came out and begged him. Lord's just leveling the planes today. And I don't even know exactly why. Sometimes as his servant, you just got to be faithful to speak. I understand this parable. Just don't know why he's saying exactly what he's saying today necessarily, but I'm going to be faithful to keep preaching this for these next few minutes. And he said, he begged him, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all that time, you never gave me one young goat for a feast with my friends. Whoa, this is sharp. You know that Jesus is sharp, but Jesus loves us, doesn't he? He loves the sinner and he loves the saint. Because what he's really showing us is, is we're all sinners. <laughs> We've been faithful, but there's actually something in our heart. We've been faithful, but the Lord's actually using this moment to deal with the guy who thinks he's okay. I've been faithful. I've never abandoned you. I'm not like him. And he says... His father said to him, look, dear son, and this is for some of you to hear today. Look, my dear children, you have always stayed, stayed by me. And what you've been missing, what you didn't realize is that that was the greatest gift you could have ever been given. And everything I have is yours. This is incredible, isn't it? It's so quiet in here. <laughs> Verse 32. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. I believe the Lord's saying this to you today. How do you define, and this is, remember, I'm talking about faith. And you're, you might be saying, how is this faith? <laughs> Because your faith has to be so rooted and grounded in something beyond you, beyond what you're doing, beyond uh, this world. It's an eternal thing that we're talking about. You are just doing your small part for a short time and then all of us that have chosen to say yes will be with him for eternity. That's what he's speaking to us over and over again. That's what the Lord's reminding us. And it doesn't matter if you are the wayward child. Come on, every family's got the prodigal and the good one. 
The good one's got bitterness. <laughs> the bad one, he knows who he is. It's a lot easier for him to turn back to Christ. It's harder for the good ones to turn to Christ because they think they're good. Whoa. Ooh, that's sharp. Well, that's the Lord. That's the Holy Spirit today. Come on. There's two parts to that story. One part was that this guy was a sinner and he recognized it. Remember the parable? Remember Jesus said, who's better? He talked about the guy beating his chest. I'm a sinner. Then this guy standing over here, at least I'm not like him. And the Lord said, who's righteous? Wow. God's good, isn't he? There's another parable he says in Matthew 20, and he says, and I love this one, and I, and I always, when I'm speaking about these two, I always join these together just in conversation because they they're, have such um, truths that kind of interweave with each other, and I'll read it quickly so I don't keep you here all day. It says in Matthew chapter 20, verse 1, for the kingdom of heaven is like the landowner who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard, and he agreed to pay the normal daily wage. Everybody say, he agreed. He agreed. Okay, so there's an agreement to pay the normal daily wage. And he sent them out to work. At 9 o'clock, so this is probably at daylight, 6 a.m., then a few hours later, because that's when they would have started working. At 9 o'clock, so a few hours into work, in the morning, he was passing through the marketplace, and he saw some people standing around doing nothing. Come on, some people take a little bit longer. Some people have been standing around doing nothing, God's coming along at nine o'clock and says, you want work? I've got it for you. You want something? I've got it for you. You want your answer? I've got it for you. But so he hired them and he told them he would pay them whatever was right at the end of the day. So they went to work. And at noon, he does the same thing. Three o'clock, he does the same thing. Verse five. And this is what gets amazing. Verse six, at five o'clock. What is five o'clock in, in the U.S. especially? Time to go home. It's not happy hour. It's not what I was implying, but maybe from your old sinful self, that's what you were thinking. That is fine because that symbolized that's the day's over. It's time to relax. But at five o'clock that afternoon, he was in town again and he saw some people standing around and he asked them, why haven't you been working today? Come on. God's so good. I just love him so much. They replied, because no one hired us. Some people are late coming into the kingdom. Some people have lived their whole lives. Come in, it's five o'clock and it's time. Some people, as soon as they were born, they just knew that God was who he was and they decided that they were willing to work for him. Amen? But this is what's incredible about this story. He says, he said, Sorry, I lost my place. Verse 10, when those hired first came to get their pay, I'm sorry, verse 9, when those hired at 5 o'clock were paid, each received a full day's wage. And he began in verse 8 with the last workers first. Gave them a full day's wage. They only worked maybe a couple hours. I don't know what this, this is a long, long, long day from daylight, right, to sunset. But he says in verse 9, when those, uh, verse 10, when those hired first came to get their pay, they assumed, come on, say, I assumed. <laughs> wow. You guys know what that means. I'm going to leave that there. They assumed they would receive more because they were more faithful. God just levels the planes. God's just speaking to us, showing us all that we are all in this together. We all have one purpose, to know him and to get as many people on earth, no matter what their moment, no matter what they've been through, no matter what they've been in, no matter how old they are, no matter how young they are, no matter how good you think you are, how bad you think you are, it's all one thing, to come to an end of yourself and come to Christ. And he said, those people worked, verse 12, only one hour. Okay, so now we know how long they worked. It worked till six. And yet you've paid them just as much as you paid us 
who worked all day in the scorching heat. Verse 13, he answered one of them, friend, I haven't been unfair. (laughs) I can't help but laugh, sorry. It's just funny. God is so good. Come on, say it out loud. I don't feel like you guys believe me today. God is so good. He's just. He's not like us. He's not like us. You need to see from his perspective because from our earthly perspective, there's good and there's bad. There's, I've been more faithful, you've been less faithful. With Jesus, it's who surrendered and who hasn't. Wow. Who has given me everything and who hasn't? That's it. And he answered one of them, friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I almost feel like God said it with an attitude. Get get out of here. Take your money and go. Seriously? Seriously? We already had an agreement. If I decide to make an agreement with him, that's none of your business is what Jesus is actually saying very kindly. I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Jesus is good and his words are good. The Bible says in Psalms, in Proverbs, that it's honey. It's honey to my lips, the word of God. It's soothing. It's sharp, but it soothes at the same time. And he said, should you be jealous because I'm kind to others? So those who are last now will be first then, and those who are first will be last I want to close with this one last thing here, and it is Psalm 73. I'd love to read the whole thing, but I don't want you to uh, have to uh, be here too long. It's 26 verses. I encourage you. Actually, it's more than that, sorry. But I encourage you to go read Psalm 73 when you leave. But basically, it's about a man who's going through this same thing between these two stories. And he said in verse two, I almost lost my footing. Uh, I, I was almost gone. My feet were slipping. And he said in verse three, I envied the proud when I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. I saw the wicked prosper despite their wickedness and they seemed to live. I love this because Christians can identify with this so much. And when I look at the world, it says in verse four, they seem to live such painless lives. Their bodies are so healthy and strong. They don't have troubles like other people do. They're not plagued with problems like everyone else. And they wear pride like a jeweled necklace and clothe themselves with cruelty. It goes on and on. And then he says in verse 13, did I keep my heart pure for nothing? Why? Why is he even questioning this? Because he's looking at someone else. He's looking at the world around him instead of his own life and what God has done in him and for him. If you have a perspective, if your faith is based upon your reality, upon the U.S., whatever country you live in, if your faith is based upon, well, this person trusted God and that seems to be what they get and this person looks like they didn't and they're blessed in different... You cannot, you have to look away from all the natural. You need to just look at God yourself and realize that we're all on the same road to heaven or hell if we choose, but that's not his choice for you. And all of us are going through, some of us are great and some of us are low in the earth and it's all the same thing to get us to the place where we surrender. And he does that here. He said, did I keep myself innocent for no reason? He's, he's got, he said, I almost slipped. So we got some hope here in Psalm 73. And he said, I get nothing but trouble all day, verse 14. And every morning brings me pain. I tried to understand why all the wicked prosper, but what a difficult task it is. Verse 17, then I went into your sanctuary. See, we all have to come to the same exact place. Then I settled it. 
You got to get back in the presence of God. You got to get back in his word and just look at your life and look at what he's done and how good he's been to you. And you got to throw away everything else, throw away all that other stuff. You got to throw away what even teachings and great books that told you, you follow these seven steps and you're going to be this by this time. I have found that that does not work, but I have found simultaneously that God is faithful, that he's always good, and even at the times where it made the least sense, he had a plan and purpose for our lives. That I know. And lastly, he says, he got into a sanctuary, oh God, I finally understood And he talks about the wicked. They're on a slippery path, and and this world, when it ends, they really don't have anything. It's all going. In an instant, it's going to be gone, he says. But in verse 20, I'm sorry, rather, in verse 21, he says, Then I realized, come on, came to my senses. Then I realized, then I came back. I realized that my heart was bitter. Speaking to a couple different categories today. You may have been the sinner, just come back to Christ. You may have thought you were good, come back to Christ. Wow, that's sharp. Just let them take that bitterness out. I was all torn up inside. I was so foolish and ignorant. I must have seemed like a senseless animal to you. Whom have I, verse 25, This is your last verse. Whom have I in heaven but you? I desire you more than anything. Let's stand. Lord, I pray that we would each settle it with you, Lord. Lord, wherever we've been, whether we think we're good or we know we're bad, Lord, I thank you and praise you that you are here today and you are speaking to us Lord, you've already leveled the plains in our, and you just laid it out in your word and showed us that we all need you. And that's at every stage and for everything and nothing else matters without you. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts. Give us, Lord, a revelation in our hearts, Lord, of just who you are. Build our faith up, Lord, to see who you are and what you're willing to do for us in our lives. I pray, Lord, that as we surrender to you, Lord, you would take all the weights. Jesus said, give me your weights. Give me your burdens. Give me your pain. Give me your past. I thank you, Lord. Your word says that you will take it if we will yoke with you and you will carry it for us. And I thank you, Lord, that you will walk with us right to the end. We give you glory, Lord, and give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.